Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, nearly 3,000 years ago, King David prayed for you. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before. It's kind of neat to think about, isn't it? King David prayed for you. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that he mentioned by name in prayer the Grace Canadian Reformed Church of Winnipeg. Uh, he had no idea that this place was an actual place on earth. Yet, even still, David surely prayed for you. In fact, in Psalm 40, he prayed for all of God's people. And this includes not only his fellow Israelites who lived at the same time that he did, but includes God's people from all times and all places. Listen to our text, the beginning of our text, verse 16. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. This is King David's prayer for us. and He was inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. And so this is the Holy Spirit's prayer for us. And he knows and he knew when King David wrote these words by his power that we would be here this day. And he, the Holy Spirit, was thinking of all of God's people when he had these words written down. Also for us. So, his prayer is that we would seek the Lord, that we would rejoice in God, that we who have been saved by God's grace would respond in reverent and joyful, heartfelt worship of our God and our Savior. And this is a pattern found in all of Scripture. Salvation is meant to lead to worship. You can find so many examples of that throughout the Bible. As just one example of many, think of when God saved Israel from Pharaoh and his host at the Red Sea. Moses and all Israel responded with a song of praise. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And Miriam, too led the women of Israel in praise of God for His salvation. And we see this pattern not only in Scripture, we see it again at the end of our text, but also throughout this entire psalm, Psalm 40. David says at the beginning of the psalm, the Lord drew him up from the pit of destruction. As a result, he sings a new song of praise to God. He says the Lord multiplied his wonderful deeds towards Israel. And so David responds by proclaiming those deeds with praise. Uh, he proclaims them publicly to all who will hear. And then at the end of the psalm in our text, he prays that we too, all of God's people, would respond to God's salvation in the very same way with heartfelt, joyful worship of God. And responding in this worship is so fitting because of the greatness of our salvation. 
And we see something of our salvation described here in this psalm. One section that stands out are the verses 6 to 8. And there it says, In sacrifices and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, at first glance, we might not see just quite how this applies to our salvation. However, the New Testament explains this for us. Hebrews chapter 10 applies these words from verses 6 to 8 directly to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these words are not saying that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were bad somehow when when it says that God is not delighted in burnt offerings and, and sacrifices. No, God himself required those sacrifices in the law. But in these sacrifices, it's not the case that God somehow delights in the death of animals, as if the slaughtering of countless animals pleased him. What God really wants is heartfelt obedience, an absolute delight in His wonderful law, and the perfect doing of His law to God's glory. And this is what God finally received in and through Jesus Christ. David David himself, Christ did what we could not do in ourselves and would not do in ourselves, fulfill the law of God. And you can see from the psalm that David confesses that very thing. Listen only to verse 12. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. And what can we do but confess this very same thing as David? How often have we not fallen into idolatry, loving things and people more than the Lord? How often have we not failed to give God the honor He deserves with our words, with our actions, our whole life? How often have we not coveted someone else's stuff for our own, acted with greed, slandered our neighbor, looked lustfully at another person, spoken lies to cover up sin. And so we have to confess that we all stand convicted of guilt and sin by the law of God before the throne of God himself. And so none of us has offered to God the obedience spoken of in verse 8 of Psalm 40. That applies only to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's also why Hebrews 10 applies those words to to Christ our Lord. Listen to what it describes about Christ's obedience and our salvation. Quoting Psalm 40, Hebrews 10 says that Christ came to do God's will. That's what he did. And what was the result? Well, it says, by that will, the will of God fulfilled by Christ says, we have been sanctified or made holy 
through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, God did not delight in the death of all those animals and those sacrifices over and over again in themselves because those sacrifices could never remove sin in themselves. But Hebrews 10 says, Christ Jesus offered a single sacrifice for sins for all times. And by a single sacrifice, he has made us perfect forever. That's the power of Jesus' death on the cross. And that's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper here this morning also. We see that God prepared a body for his Son who came into the world taking on our human nature. And when he came into the world, he came to do the will of God perfectly. And that's what he did. He did that will, denying himself all the way to pouring out his blood in sacrifice on the cross. We have that pictured here this morning with the broken bread and the wine that is poured out. And what if Christ did not do that? What if verses 6 to 8 of Psalm 40, about Christ doing the will of God, what if they were not in the Bible or not carried out in history? Well, it means we would be without hope and without God in the world. We would be left in the awful situations described by David in parts of this psalm. He writes in verse 2 about being in the miry bog and the pit of destruction. Now, we don't know the exact historical circumstances of David when he wrote this psalm. But what matters is that without this saving work of Christ, we would be left in the pit of eternal destruction, of hell. That's where we would go. We would suffer eternal destruction in hell. But Christ has done it. He has fulfilled the law. We have been made holy by his sacrifice. And so how should we respond to such a great salvation? May you respond in worship, beloved. May you respond in joyful worship and praise to your God who has saved you by his grace. And the pattern of our worship can match, for example, David's worship in verse 9. He says, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. David delighted in gathering with God's people and worshiping publicly with them to the praise of God. He wanted to meet together with other believers to worship the Lord. And it's the same thing we can joyfully do every Lord's Day as we gather here in this building to the praise of our God. Telling the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation, especially with our songs. At the same time, this response of worship includes more. It involves our entire lives. Verse 16 says, May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. 
We can translate it also as, may they say, may they say continually, magnify the Lord, make Him great. I'm sure most of you have played with a, a magnifying glass before. I'm sure many of the, the children do from time to time. And through that magnifying glass, you, you look at things and you make them look bigger, uh, more pronounced. And to magnify a person is to glorify that person to draw people's attention to that person, to make his name great, to know that person intimately and to give him praise. That's the very thing we aim to do in our day-to-day worship of the Lord, to magnify him, draw attention to him, to praise him, and also desire that others would praise him too. Now, this salvation we have from God doesn't mean our lives will always be easy. David admits in verse 17, I am poor and needy. I am afflicted and oppressed. And so he calls on God to not delay his help. And we too will still go through many troubles in this life, also in light of this salvation. But in the end, both David And we can have great confidence. Though he is oppressed and afflicted by the world, David confesses, the Lord takes thought for me. He is my help and deliverer. It's the same for us. God thinks about you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And yes, you might be counted as a nobody in this world. That's not how it is with God. He delights in His people. The Lord takes thought for me, says David. And we can say the same thing. God treasures His people greatly in Jesus Christ, and He looks upon us at all times. And that is our worth knowing that we are loved and looked upon by God Himself. He is our help and our deliverer, and we are safe in Him. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together Psalm 40, stanzas 1 and 2.